Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, I'm excited uh, about this new series as we've jumped into a new normal, and uh, we're studying the book of Joshua, if you're new this morning, because I believe this, God wants to lead us into a new time, a new place, a new experience of His blessing, a new experience of His power, a new experience of His promise in our lives. And we're learning lessons from the book of Joshua. We started last week. We were looking at Joshua chapter 1 and verses 1 through 9, and we're going to return there again today. Last time we talked about strength, how you and I can be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, the importance of that. And today I want to talk to you about courage. The Lord knew that in order to enter a new normal, a new time, the nation of Israel would have to be people of courage. In order for them to be people of courage, their leadership would also have to be courageous. Over and over again, then, God's call to Joshua is to be strong and courageous, which tells us something. He probably doesn't necessarily fill up to the challenge of succeeding Moses, who would? Many times what happens is God sets his hand on us. God wants to do something in our life. And what happens is we don't feel we're up to the challenge. It's in those moments that our confidence has to be not in ourselves, but in the God who is able to work. But he asks us to summon within our heart strength and courage, a commitment to do what he asks us to do. And you read through the story of Joshua, actually at the start in Deuteronomy 31, Moses summons Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. He says again a few verses later, the Lord commissioned him, be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. And let me just say this, in order for you and I to walk by faith, we talked about epic faith. That requires both spiritual strength, which God pours into us as we cooperate with his work in our life, but it also requires courage. To believe what you can't see requires courage. To believe that God has something more for you than is clearly in front of you that God can bring you, that God can change your life, that God can change your family, that God can change your finances, that God can change your situation, your circumstance, that in one year, two years, five years, that your life can be different, that requires a response of courage on your and my part. For Joshua, it's going to require courage to believe Israel is going to be able to enter a land filled with seven nations stronger and more powerful than they are. It'd be enough if there was one nation. There's seven. God can say all he wants to say to us, but at some point, if you and I are going to experience what God wants to do in our life, it requires a response of courageous faith of saying, I'm in, I believe, 
I accept it. I can't see it. I can't understand it. I don't know how God's going to do it. But God, if you say that's what's going to happen, I believe and I'm courageous enough that I'll not only think it in my heart or treasure it in my heart, but I'll speak it with my lips. As you come to Joshua chapter one, God says again, be strong and courageous. Later he says in verse nine, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. The people hear it so much that by the end of the chapter, they're saying to Joshua in verses 17 and 18, we'll follow you, but like God said and like Moses said, Joshua, we need you to be strong and courageous. And when we think about courage, we're not talking about somebody who doesn't have to confront their fears. Really what, what courage has to do at its heart in the, in the Hebrew word, it's the word amatz. It has to do with being alert physically, mentally. In other words, you're fully engaged. It's the idea that you're bold. It's the idea that, that you're firm. It's the idea that nobody's gonna push you around. The enemy can push on you, but you're standing firm. People can push on you, but you're standing firm. You're bold. You're bold enough to say, I believe in the invisible. I believe in what can't be put in a test tube, what can't be measured with a yardstick. I believe in it because God has said it. This is courage, it's the courage of faith. In Merriam's dictionary, it defines courage as mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Our old English word courage is an, from an Anglo-Saxon word or an Anglo-French word that means more heart. In other words, a person who's courageous has heart. They're wholehearted. They're full on. Without reservation, they're saying, God, you have all of me and all that you want to do in my life. It's game on for me. I want to ask you today, is that where you're at? Without knowing exactly where God will take you, without knowing exactly what God will ask of you, without knowing all the details, are you willing to say, God, I'm in, I'm on, you have all of me. That's where courage starts. And until we come to a place that says, I'm abandoning my life to your purposes and your will and the direction of your spirit in my life, courage will be very hard to come by. So it's a, it's a matter, it starts in the heart. Entering a new normal requires more heart. Requires more heart to embrace the new priorities that are a part of that. It requires more heart to fight the battles that are a part of that. It requires more heart to be able to engage in the activities that are a part of that. Epic faith, wholehearted, or that, that bold faith requires courage. So as we think of courage, I wanna, I wanna talk about courage relative to three areas. Number one, courage and convictions. If there was ever a day that our world needed courageous Christians, it's today. We're living in a day where our society, our culture is jettisoning 
the Judeo-Christian ethic at a, at a pace that is unseen in the history of our country. As we're watching everything rapidly turn, it's time for Christians to be courageous. Not in an unkind, not in an abrasive way, but in a godly, bold, clear-minded, firm way to stand up for righteousness. To be able to, to articulate what's valuable to us. We need courage to do that. A courageous person has to have convictions. But it's impossible to have the courage of your convictions if you don't have any convictions. Let me ask you, what are you convinced of? What's really important to you? At the core of your being, what really matters to you? What are you given to? Because your behavior and your time and your attention will flow to those areas. For example, I mean, as a pastor, and I, I just use this illustrationally, there are some things I'm very committed to personally as a pastor. Number one, I believe prayer is the difference in much of what we see God do. That if we pray, anything is possible. That God delights to do big things. I just believe that with all of my heart. I've done this now too long. I've watched God do too much to believe any different. When you and I pray, it makes a difference. The reason why James River is what it is, is because of the prayer meeting, straight up. Take the prayer meeting out, it's a different church. Take the prayer meeting out, you'd watch this place turn. There's a momentum it has, but once that momentum had dissipated, you'd watch this become a different church overnight. Prayer makes a difference. When the church prays, it makes a difference. When I pray, it makes a difference. Prayer makes a massive, massive difference in our lives. I'm convinced of that. Because of that, we give time as a church to that. I give time in my own life to that. I'm convinced that the Word of God, rightly divided under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, will change people's lives. What changes people's lives are not my opinions. What changes people's lives is not my clever presentation. What changes people's lives is the Word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that, that transforms people. The Bible says, we are transformed by the living and the enduring Word of God. That's a conviction. That is why every week you can count on, open your Bibles too, is where I roll. It's how I work. It's what I think. It's all that really matters to me relative to the Word, that people hear a reasoned verse-by-verse verse explanation of Scripture, and it can transform them. I'm amazed at the power of God to transform people when you're, when you're speaking about the craziest kinds of topics. For example, I remember 1 Corinthians speaking about women wearing head coverings and that morning, uh, 50 people getting saved. I mean, I was like, what in the world? But it's the power of the Word of God. <laughs> I believe the first step in discipleship for the, for the Christian is water baptism. I just believe that. 
I believe that if people aren't baptized right away, it works against their, their spiritual formation and ingrains in them an obedience-optional discipleship, which is no discipleship at all. I believe many people are anemic in their walk or experiencing much less in their walk with God than they would have if they would have gotten baptized right away. And that once somebody is baptized, it makes a massive difference in God's working and moving in their life. It's a conviction I have. Can you see how those shape what we do at James River? What are your convictions? What do you firmly believe? I believe the Word of God is true. When it comes to a personal level, let me just say this. I, I, when I was raising, when our kids were at home, I believe this to be true, that love is not enough to transform your children's lives. Too many parents think because they love their children, they have influence with their children. That's not true. Time plus love equals influence. You got to be there. You got to be there with your kids. And that doesn't start when they can do what you're interested with. It starts when they're little. You've got to be around. I remember in the early days and, and when our kids were growing up and a lot of invitations were coming, and I frankly turned down almost all of them because I felt my kids needed to see me at the dinner table, that it didn't matter how many conferences I was at. If my kids didn't grow up to love God, really nothing else matters. It's a conviction that I have. What are your convictions? What do you believe to be true? It will affect how you live. Number two, and I would just say before we go to number two, it'd be good for you, really, for every single person to sit down and write, what do I believe to be true? What is, what is, and, and there's a lot of things we can say are true, but what am I really convinced of? What do I really have in my heart as a conviction and maybe you've not thought about that, but it's critically important because it will affect how you do marriage, how you do family, how you do your job, how you do church. I, let me give you one other, one other um, conviction relative to the church, that God wants us to be lovers of his church that he passionately loves his church. He passionately loves his church, and he wants his people to be lovers of his church. I talked about that in Staff Chapel a couple weeks ago. We had a, a great time, a lot of fun with that. Number two, courage in conversation. Do you speak courageous words? Let me, let me ask you this. Do your words encourage or discourage? Because at the heart of encouragement is courage. In other words, when you're an encourager, you're giving people courage. When you're a discourager, you're taking away people's courage. What kind of, of speaker are you? Do your words give people courage? Do you realize that every conversation we have is either going to build up the people around us or it's going to tear down the people around us? 
It's very interesting. I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 20, a very interesting passage. When you go out to war against your enemies and see, your hor- see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. You could be outnumbered, but if God is with you, you don't have to worry. Isn't that good news? You might feel outnumbered today, but God is with you. You don't have to worry. It says this, and when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you're drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Now, here you've got the priest and he's coming out and he's saying, listen, we don't have to be afraid. There may be more of them, but God is with us and God's going to fight for us and God's going to help us and God's going to go before us and it's going to be awesome. And everybody said, hallelujah, it's so great. Then watch what happens. And the officers shall then speak further to the people and say, is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. How's that gonna happen? By what he says. I want you to think about this for just a moment because sometimes people think, well, I don't, I don't really matter. I don't have any position. I'm not this. I'm not that. Listen, he's not an officer. He's just an enlisted man. But if he speaks discouraging words, it will discourage an entire army. You may feel like, oh, I'm, I don't know that many people. Listen. There's a ripple effect to your words. That even when there's a word from God that he's going to give victory, that you could actually, by speaking discouragement and doubt and fear, steal a victory from God's people. Oh, I'd be very careful. I'd be very careful. I'm I'm not saying, listen, I'm just saying, I'd be very careful about tearing down the church. I'd be very careful about, about speaking disparaging words, disheartening people from believing in God and seeking God and believing the best is yet to come. I'd be very careful about saying, oh, I, I hate it when they say that all the time, or I wouldn't. Yeah, I'd be very careful about that lest you diminish the victory God is giving his people and all because you think you have no influence. Your words themselves have great power. The power of life and death is in the tongue. How powerful is that? Regardless of whose tongue is moving. It's very interesting. In the gospel story, there's an interesting story in the gospel because when you read the the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it's in all four gospels. John tells us at the start of the day, and when you understand the chronology, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell us what happens at the end of the day. John tells us what happens at the start of the day. At the start of the day, uh, Jesus says to Philip, He says, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. So Philip, Philip apparently is the quartermaster. He's the number cruncher. He's the accountant. And I've met accountants of great faith, but I, I mean, it takes a lot of extra faith to be uh, a person of great faith when you're an accountant. I mean, it just does because people sometimes have, have a lot more confidence in the numbers than they do in the God behind the numbers. 
I mean, again, I know accountants with great faith, but I also know sometimes people get too caught up in what they see rather than what God says. So here's, here's Philip, and he says, listen, I've done the math, and it, it can't be done. Watch what happens at the end of the day. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, the hour is late. Send them away. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Here's what they say. Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? They're like, we don't have 200 denarii. I mean, Philip's been saying it all day, and now they're believing it. You see, what you and I say has a huge effect on what happens in people's thinking. You can think it's not any big deal, it's just your opinion, but your opinion has the power to either create an atmosphere of encouragement and faith or to create an atmosphere of discouragement and fear. It's very interesting to watch that. You, another example would be Numbers chapter 13. Here you have the spies, and what you have is they're coming back, and, and here's their report. The land flows with milk and honey, but the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Shebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Now watch this. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they complained. They're, they're in it all night. Remember the word courage means wholehearted. Look at it in Numbers 14. It says this, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land. Listen, 10 men come back and bring a bad report. Moses' faith burns with, face burns with the, the glory of God. Moses can strike a rock and a river gushes out, a river that waters too many people. Moses can lift his hands up and quail come down in the camp and feed two million people. Moses can do all kinds of things. But even though Moses is hearing directly from God, even though he speaks to the Lord face to face as a man talks with his friend, even though there's a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and even though he strikes a rock and even though all those things are happening, Moses' faith is not enough to bring people into the promised land if there are 10 men who are saying it can't be done. I, I'm just saying there's, there's got to be, on the part of God's people, the kind of courage that says, I will speak words of faith and I will speak words that build others up. And there has to be a recognition of the devastating nature of discouraging, critical words that would cause us to say, I want to be careful that I don't damage what God is going to do in a place where God is working so powerfully. Further, let me, just, let me just add this, and I just think it's a good reminder because I think as we're moving into what God has, Satan is going to fight that, and how is he going to fight it? He's going to fight it through the conversation of people. The tongue is, is one of his favorite weapons. 
Let me say this as well, though. I, I think we have to realize, too, we never know what's happening to people who are listening to us. We, I, I think we err if we underestimate the power of an encouraging comment. I, I can't help every time I drive down South Campbell. I mean, honestly, anytime I'm driving down there and I go by, I think of a conversation that I had in 1991 at the Steak and Shake over biscuits and gravy, which, you know, biscuits and gravy at Steak and Shake are good. <laughs> but I was there with somebody who was on the leadership team of James River, and they had, they had talked to me, and, and I'd done everything honestly to, to uh, I tried to get other people to come here. Uh, when they'd asked me to come, I was like, ah, I've got a friend, call these. I, I gave them several names, then my friends would come. And, and so we came down to talk to them, we met with them, we saw what God was doing. But honestly, at the time, uh, because of the battle in Kansas City and because uh, I was just discouraged, sometimes when you're discouraged, it just frames your whole perception of everything. And I saw what God was doing here, and I really felt like, you know, if they ask us to come, it's not gonna be a good thing for them. And the last thing I'd want to do is get in the way of what God was doing here. So, you know, at our, at our meeting with them, I told them, listen, you know, Debbie's, Debbie's worn out. And so I would just ask you to please don't ask her to do anything for nine months. And honestly, let me just tell you, you know, I don't have like a big vision for Springfield. If you need somebody who has a vision for Springfield, I'm not your guy. And, and um, you know, I'm not lazy, but, you know, I'm, I'm not the guy who's going to come in and put the jumper cables on and get the thing really going. Uh, you know, I preach, I visit people. Um, and I, if I'm you, I'd pick somebody else. I, I said all that, and they were like, you're just the guy we're looking for. And I was like, what in the world? <laughs> so the next morning, I'm having biscuits and gravy with one of the leaders, and I, I, I told him, I said, hey, listen, I just got to be honest with you. I feel like a failure, and I think it's a massive mistake for you guys to ask me to come. And he looked at me and he said, I don't think you're a failure. I think we can be good for you and you can be good for us. And I sure hope you'll come. On that one statement, my whole future changed. You see, you never know the battle somebody's fighting on the inside. You never know what they're struggling with, what they're thinking. You never know how close they are to giving up. At that time, I was telling Debbie, I want to go back to law school. But one guy over biscuits and gravy said two sentences that changed my life, that gave me the courage to fight another day. Amen. Courage and conversation. Let's be known as people who lift one another up. Let's, let's not judge people on the facade of what we see on the outside, but let's ask God to give us the, the faith, the faithfulness, and, and the attitude, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. He's the God of all encouragement, that we would be the kind of, of people that would speak words of life to the people we encounter. Amen?
Now listen, in, in terms of Joshua, if you're gonna see God do big things, it's gonna require courage to speak them. For some of you, the miracle's gonna come not just because you feel it or sense it in your heart, but God's gonna require something more of you. He's gonna require you to express it with your lips. And that's gonna take courage. Because at that point, it's one thing to in your heart say, I believe it. It's another thing for any one of us to declare this is what we believe God is doing. I mean, this is for, I, I think, one of the beautiful things about Vision Sunday and one of the scary things about Vision Sunday. You put out what you believe God is going to do, and then you're like, oh, wow, now, now we've said it. Now we're, we're in, we're on. We, this thing's going to have to happen because we said, we said we're going to do it, right? Think of this with Joshua. In Joshua chapter 3, then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. You know, what that, you know what's going to happen the very next day? The water of the Jordan in flood stage is going to completely pile up, and the priests are going to step in the water, and they're going to be on dry ground, and all the people are going to go across. And I mean, Joshua, Joshua does not know exactly what's going to happen. All he knows is God says tomorrow, I'm gonna to do something so amazing, so significant, that it'll be remembered for all time and eternity. But it takes great faith to say tomorrow, God's going to do something amazing. Later, he says this. He tells Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you'll know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. This, this takes great faith to name out the nations and say, they are so yesterday because God is giving you the land. Later, he's going to say in chapter 6, I mean, amazing, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. He he's going to tell them, we're going to march around this thing, and when we do, we're all going to shout, and when we shout, the walls are falling down, and we're all going to go up in it. I mean, that takes amazing faith to say that. That takes courage. You can believe all day long in your heart God's going to do it, but it takes great courage to speak it with your lips. But some things, and here's the thing, some things will only happen when you are bold enough to declare it. That's why courage, you've got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and you've got to have courage in your conversation and your convictions. Let me give you one last and we'll close. Courage and commitment. Courage and commitment. Courage comes by way of commitment. It's something that God calls you and I to. He can give strength to our heart, and the good news is in grace God calls you to do it, and then he enables you to do it. But there has to be a willingness on our part to cooperate with the call of God relative to what he wants to do in our life. You have to choose to be a person of courage. Otherwise, how can God say to Joshua in Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? How can God command him to do it if Joshua can't do it? 
Let me give you some things that will build courage in your life, similar to strength training, but different in some respects. Number one, commit to obey God's word. Look at it in Joshua 1 and verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. In other words, you need to have courage over the top, being careful to do according to all the law. That Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. There is something about when you and I begin to live in the Word of God and obey the Word of God and not be selective and say, well, I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not sure about that. I don't really feel like doing that. I want to. But when you and I say, I'm going to obey the Word of God, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. We're talking about the intent of the heart, the desire of your life is to say, I'm going to be full on in my obedience to the Lord. What will happen is... It will result in a success in your life. I'm I'm amazed how many people, commentators, write about this. Well, success doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean this. How do they know? I mean, it says wherever you go, that you may have success wherever you go. That seems pretty all-encompassing. But let's take the finance, because that seems to be a lot of people just don't believe God wants to bless people financially. I'm not saying everybody is going to be a millionaire. I'm just saying, just like you saw the Cisco's testimony, come on. I mean, it's true. It works. I've seen it. I've seen it for for 37 years in ministry. It just is what it is. But let's let's set that to the side and say, let me say this. If you will obey the law and all that you do, you'll be successful in your family. You'll be successful in your relationships. You'll be successful in your planning for the future. You'll be successful in your, in your work relationship. I mean, in what happens at work. I'm just saying, when you begin to, when you begin to say, I'm going to honor God and put him first, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which would be obeying the word, and all these other things will be added unto you. He'll take care of everything else. And you can be sure he'd take care of everything else better than you could take care of everything else. But obedience to the word of God and a commitment to the word of God to say, what it says I'm going to do, I'm going to live in it because I love him. I'm going to do it because he's so good. And, And watch what God will do. Number two, commit to meditating on the word. Look at it again, because we looked at it last time. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. We talked about how the Hebrew word has to do with murmuring or mumbling, but it also has to do with with a cow chewing its cud. And what, what a cud is, is it's a part of the gastric chamber in a cow where it brings up the, the things it's eaten, the grass, the, the alfalfa. It, it brings it up and the, and the grain, and the cow chews on it again to extract all of the nutrients from that food. The difference between this kind of meditation and Eastern meditation or the meditation of other religions is simply that all of those want you to empty your mind. God wants to fill your mind. It's a massive difference. Their ideal is nothingness. Don't think about anything because that's where all your stress is. God's idea is fullness of joy. Big difference. God says you don't get peace by thinking about nothing. He says you get peace by filling your mind with me. 
You get joy by filling your mind with, with him. So what happens is you find yourself meditating on it. You find yourself becoming conscious of the Word of God. And when you're conscious of the Word of God, what happens is you'll automatically, because the Word and the Spirit work together, you're going to have the Spirit of God. You're going to be conscious of the Spirit of God and the will of God. And that's going to give you courage because when you know you're walking according to the way of the Lord and the hand of the Lord is on you and you can sense His presence, there's going to be a faith, there's going to be a boldness, there's going to be a courage in what you do. Number three, commit to not living in fear. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Now, here's the difficulty for us is that we're bombarded with information 24-7. Some of that information is meaningless. Some of that information is false. Some is corrupt, some is a distraction, and we have to be careful what we do with all of that information. I would suggest that potentially a little less information would go a long way in helping people. Whether that's news, which I think people, you know, for in the 40 days leading up to Easter, Debbie and I said, we're not going to watch, we're not going to have any TV on at all. We're not going to do any of that. So we kind of took a news break for 40 days. I found out after 40 days, not a lot had changed. <laughs> I really hadn't missed much. I felt way better. I was way happier. You know, for a lot of people, you're filling your mind with so many things that are working against you spiritually. I would put social media in that. I'm not, I'm not against it. I don't think by and large it's good. Because I think it creates an unrealistic view. Everybody shows you what they want you to see, which is usually their, the, the best of any given moment, and creates this sense that everybody else has the perfect life except you. Which breeds discontent or certainly fills people with all kinds of trivia. And then I think there's a whole lot of things on the internet that just frankly are not true. And people Google stuff and find stuff that, that just is honestly wrong. And, are, and are fill their mind with it. And then what happens is they begin to get concerned and they begin to get worried and they begin to get anxious. But underneath all of that is what? Fear. And once a person is counseled by their fears, faith is going to be an uphill battle. Because fear will always justify its existence in your life. You'll always have a reason. Notice it's do not be frightened. It's a choice we can make. We, we can choose. You say, how do I, how do I overcome that? I, I think it's right here in the verse. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When you and I become conscious of the presence of the Lord that is with us, and the promise of the Lord that he will go from where we're at right now, where we sense his presence, to wherever we're going, you're in his presence right now, I can tell you that. But he will go with you. 
That's good news, isn't it? He will go with you. When that becomes real to you, fear has no place. Let me just encourage you, if you're filled with fear, what's the antidote to that? It's to worship the Lord. You say, what, how, how does that help? Because God sits enthroned on the praises of his people. So as soon as you start to worship, you're bringing the presence of the Lord into your situation. If God sits enthroned on the praises of his people, who do you think sits enthroned on fear? If you're, if you're, if you're dominated by your fears and you're counseled by your fears, what happens is, and we, we can legitimize the fear and we can say, well, I, I have good reason to be afraid. And Satan is so happy to hear you say that. Better to remember he's with you. Better to be enthralled with his presence than to be overwhelmed by false news, whatever else is out there that is causing fear in your heart. Praise the Lord and his presence will fill your heart. Number four, and finally, close with this. Commit to believing God's promises. Listen, for every single trial you ever face, this is true, 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 a thousand times true. There's a promise from God for you. A promise from his word for you. God has promises. Listen, here's what he says to Joshua. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness, and he goes down and he just describes it. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you, which incidentally, Jesus repeats that and says, um, I will never leave you and forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. He's with you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause his people to inherit the land. God gives him a promise. Traffic in the promises of God for every single problem. There is always going to be a promise God's going to give you. I love what the Puritan Thomas Watson said. He said this in a sermon that he preached on August 17, 1662. Trade much in the promises. The promises are great supports to faith. Faith lives in a promise as the fish lives in the water. The promises are both comforting and quickening. In other words, they'll energize your spirit to believe God. The promises of God keep us from sinking when we come to the waters of affliction. Oh, trade much in the promises. There is no condition that you can be in, but you have a promise. That's true. Trade much in the promises of God. There's no condition you can be in, but that you have a promise. God wants us to be people who are courageous. Get in the word of God. Meditate on the word. Speak words of life. Trade in the promises of God. Watch what God will do. Amen?